Hello and welcome to Leave Your Mark. I'm your host, Scott Livingston, and this is where I explore the influences that have shaped the lives of our incredible guests. These are the stories of lives worth talking about. Follow me on Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Pain, or link up with me on my Facebook fan page, Scott G. Livingston. My goal is to empower and inspire a community of people who take every opportunity to live a high-performing life. Before I get started on today's podcast, I want to take a moment to connect you with my sponsor, ReconditioningHQ.com. Reconditioning is a method and language of integrated practice that brings the worlds of therapy and conditioning together and helps them become more powerful and more practical. If you live in one or both of these worlds or you use the services of a therapist or conditioning coach, you know that sometimes they don't see eye to eye. They aren't on the same page. Reconditioning provides a time-tested process for aligning these two worlds and creating impactful solutions to performance problems. And now the entire approach is available for you to digest online from the comfort of your own home. Follow them at ReconditioningHQ on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or become a member of their Facebook Reconditioning HQ Revolution community and join the Reconditioning Revolution. Team up with Matrix. If you're striving for that competitive edge, make sure Matrix is on your team so you have everything you need to build a winner from start to finish. With over 500 products, exclusive training tools, and years of experience, we can help you create a facility that maximizes athletic potential in new ways. We can deliver a wide range of complete programming solutions to build strength, explosiveness, speed, and agility in athletes of all kinds. Our partnerships with coaching professionals make it easy to access expert insight that enhances the way your team trains. And of course, everything Matrix is engineered and tested to meet the most stringent international standards for safety and quality. So we'll be with you season after season season for years. For more information, go to Matrix Canadian team site, teamupwithmatrix.com forward slash CA. How would you like to increase your athletic performance and reduce your risk of injury? If this sounds good to you, please allow me to introduce you to the all-new Isofit MSK. The multi-patented Isofit MSK is the world's first full-body, portable, isometric strength training device. Since launching in November 2020, the Isofit MSK is now helping thousands of people across 18 countries live pain-free, high-performing lifestyles. Whether your goal is to enhance muscle strength and endurance, improve neuromuscular potentiation, strength strengthen tendons and bones, or enhance cardiovascular performance, the Isofit MSK does it all. To learn more about the Isofit MSK, please visit www.isofitmsk.ca. That's Isofit with a P-H-I-T, MSK.ca. Remember to use the discount code IHPS at checkout to save yourself $250 per unit. The Isofit MSK is proudly made in Canada. Hello and welcome to Leave Your Mark. I'm Scott Livingston and today I have the opportunity to speak with Quinn Sandler. Quinn is the co-founder and CEO of Plantiga. A serial entrepreneur, Quinn has founded companies in online learning, coaching, and digital branding. Quinn has spent over 12 years in the wearable technology industry and brings a wealth of experience in product design sensors as they apply to sports science and biomechanics, product development, branding, and much more. Quinn founded the company Plantiga with his father, Norman McKay, in his parents' house. Norman has an engine 
an engineer with a background in biomechanics and product design. Today, the company is approaching 20 team members headquartered in Vancouver with a distributed team in both the U.S. and Canada. Quinn is married to his beautiful wife, Kaylee, and they have one son, Atticus. I am pleased to have him on the show today. Welcome, Quinn. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Okay, I got to know, where's Atticus come from? That's a cool name. I haven't heard that. Atticus, you know, we had never heard of it. My wife was looking at just lists and lists of names, and she said it, and instantly I thought, that is a fantastic name. Uh, historically, it comes from a man from Attica, which just means a man from Athens. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what I, don't, what I didn't know is it was the lead character in, I think it's To Kill a Mockingbird, Atticus Finch. Okay. Um, so a book that I've not read, but I know was a was a good literary name. So that's where it comes <laughs> you, from. You learn something every day. Yeah. Well, I'm really pleased to have you on the show. Um, our paths sort of met circuitously through a friend of uh, ours, uh, Matt Jordan, and uh, Matt spoke uh, very highly of both the company you've built and yourself and what you guys are doing, and you know, bumped into the the product, so to speak. And as you know, this podcast is a life story podcast, not so much a technical podcast. We'll get into the ins and outs a little bit of what you guys are doing with Plantiga. But really, I was interested in, you know, I'm always interested in the, I like the term serial entrepreneur terminology, but the, you know, people who are creating um, and always shifting and moving and trying new things. So why don't we go back a bit and sort of discover where that comes from? You, you grew grew up on the West Coast of Canada and and if so, or where did you grow up and, and what was sort of influencing you as a kid yeah so i grew up in vancouver we grew up in north vancouver um uh where me and my brother uh, and our family um were so yeah grew up in in vancouver and just have always been an entrepreneurial type of spirit you know it's i struggle to take direction so i don't know if that's good or bad but it's been very challenging for me to work for people um, and I've kind of pretty much been self-employed since I was 18, since the end of high school. Wow. You know, I've definitely had bartending jobs and I hosted trivia and, you know, I've done things like that. But funny enough, those almost don't feel like work because you're going to, you know, pour some beer when you're in university. It doesn't really feel like a real job. Um, but other than that, just always been entrepreneurial. In fact, I have a, I have a sign in my office that says from when I was 11, that said, um, uh, capable 11 year old open for errands, yard work, uh, etc. So, you know, I've always been trying to make my own way. So yeah. Awesome. And my mom's an entrepreneur. My dad was, so just kind of how, uh, how I've been raised. Yeah. What, what was your dad's sort of work in or was he like you kind of this, that, and the other thing of the work. A little bit, but his background was in engineering. So he had a background in biomechanics and spent a lot of time working in the area of understanding human movement and human motion, and then did a bunch of product development and design as well. So worked for a number of engineering firms uh, kind of around Vancouver. Um, And my mom has been a fitness trainer or a personal trainer in the fitness industry for about 30 years. So has run her own business since the mid-80s. Um, and yeah, so kind of almost a combination of both of their work efforts is kind of what I'm doing now and what we're doing now with Plantiga. What, um, when you sort of lied in the driveway when you were a kid or on the grass and looked up in the stars, did you dream of doing anything in particular? Was there a dream when you were a little kid of what you wanted to be? You know, 
I was actually more of an artistic dreamer. And, you know, I'm, I'm much more intuitive uh, just as a, as a human being. So I played in a band. I, so I've played music since I was very, very young. And I was in a band. We had a development deal with a record label when I was 18. And I've always been artistic. And, in fact, when I was young, I thought I was going to be a professional um, musician. And we went on mm-hmm. tour and we played. And I've recorded records. And lots of my friends still play in bands. That's actually the trajectory I thought I was on. And alongside that, I did, like, a branding and design company and lots of websites. And then I started working with my dad what would almost be 12 or 13 years ago now um, on Plantiga. And it literally was more of a side project. It was my dad saying, well, hey, look, if we can get ground reaction force or equivalent data from footwear, there are blue sky opportunities there. Mm. So, no, I kind of dreamt more of the artistic route. Um, but I guess kind of as life goes, you kind of fall into things. And then when we started Plantiga, it really became a big passion of mine. And, you know, the more we started to develop and get out there and, you know, it kind of transferred from the side project till about four or five years ago to being kind of our prime focus. Mm. Um, but yeah, the dreaming part was more on the artistic side. I still kind of identify more as an artist uh, than I do as a, you know, a technical CEO. That's cool. So, you know, we're going to unpack Plantiga for sure. I just want to kind of get set the table in terms of, you know, where you come from and in your your mind and, and the way you sort of apply yourself to things. So obviously there's a creative side, there's an artistic side. Um, when you first start expressing that, it, do you do you feel a sense of compass in, in that? Or is it really, I'm on a ship and I'm kind of letting it go wherever it goes and you're comfortable with that? Like, And the reason I ask the question is some people are not comfortable with that and some people are. And I'm just trying to unpack where that comfort comes from inside you that, you know, where the wind will take me, I'm going to be cool about and I'm going to enjoy it and flow. Whereas some other people, you know, there's a lot of structure. And especially in my community that listens to this, the performance community, you know, you know, a lot of people are kind of in that that sort of. I go to school, get my degree, get my profession. I'm I'm a professional now. Now I'm going to be a strength coach, a therapist, a mental prep person, all these kinds of things. And it's kind of dialed for you. Whereas I'm I I find it really interesting to talk to guys like you who who have ebbed and flowed. So just unpack that for me. Where is that? Where do you feel your sense of compass when you when you're flowing like that? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I grew up as, you know, a family that meditated. We're very spiritual. My parents followed a spiritual teacher um, from India and we meditated as a family. So I was, that's why I said I'm more of an intuitive is I kind of follow my feeling more than I follow anything else. So I always wanted to create. I think that was the driving forces. I and still now I write music, I sing, I write essays. I'm in the midst of writing a book. I love to create. I love to make things. If I finish in a day and I've just done emailing, like even now, like where we are making content, we are creating. Like that's mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. I think the magic is. I've definitely been drawn to that my entire life. That was kind of my guiding light. I actually didn't have this set where I was like, oh, I'm going to be the CEO of a tech company. Even when I started to work with my dad, it wasn't like, oh, we're going to like, I'm going to go down this technical road. It was more like, this feels good. I feel like what we're doing is going to make a real impact. And I kind of, yeah, I kind of just ebb and flowed more on feeling than on anything else. Mm. Uh, And then I just kind of say, does this feel good? 
Does yes, this feels good. Okay, cool. And you know what? There was even a time about five or six years ago where I made, I recorded a record and I recorded about five or six songs at a studio here in Vancouver called The Warehouse, which is owned by Brian Adams. Mm. And there were some producers that were really interested in working with me more and possibly, you know, going down the recording artist route. And I was just thinking to myself, yeah, like I love to do that, but I also don't want to be on the road. Like I know lots of friends of mine who go from city to city and they make just, you know, it, it, it's not a money thing. It's just, it's a harder life. So yeah. I, I felt like I was actually at a, like a crossroads, maybe about, maybe about seven years ago where I thought, do I really want to be a musician more? Or do I kind of want to stay down this kind of technical startup route? Um, and I kind of decided this route and I'm very happy for it. Although I still write music and I still play and I still record and I still sing and, mm, you know, very I do all cool. those things. So, but yeah, definitely my path has been more based on feeling and vibe way more than me thinking I want to be there. I want to make an impact and I want to create. Mm. So where do you meet your wife, Kaylee? And uh, what does she represent to you? Is she a, a yin to your yang or is she very much similar in some sense? Oh, she's a yin to my yang. So I actually was bartending about 10 years ago at a nightclub called Canvas Lounge. And she came in with kind of a mutual friend. And I basically was like, who is that girl? <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, bought her some drinks and said, can I have your number? Kind of the old fashioned way before online dating. And we went out for dates and, you know, it kind of went from there. She is very analytical. She is so organized. She's so structured. She is my yin to my yang where I am very, you know, I'm very free and flowing and she is very, you know, we like, I don't really prepare a whole lot. So <laughs> if it wasn't for her, I don't think our child would eat a whole lot. I'm, I'm joking. But, uh, I actually just had my kid for the weekend for the first time. He's 16 months old this weekend, and I did a great job. Yeah, but, I was going to ask you, how did you do? You did, it, went, okay. it went well. But, you know, she did tell me, okay, so for lunch you should probably do this, and for dinner you should do this, and here are the snacks. And So, no, she's definitely leading to my end. She's amazing. That's awesome. So what's the cost of being you in some sense? Like when, when you, when you're like that and you're kind of, what is the cost of that? Do you, do you get lost in it? Do you get uh, sort of kind of confused about where direction, kind of where your direction actually is or, or, or not? I'm just curious. That's a great question. What is the cost? I feel so sometimes I, because I don't really because I don't really see myself in the future, like I don't really deal with things until I'm there. Mm. So, which is kind of good because I really don't get stressed out about a whole lot. You know, company, personal, professional, I don't really worry about things until they're like right in my face. So I think that does cost me sometimes. I think mm. I should do a better job as I get older and I try to be better at that where I really try to plan a little bit more and kind of think, you know, months or years down the line. And I kind of like, I joke with my wife, I wing it pretty much everything. You know, like we've done big presentations for work, whether it's like, you know, military stuff or investors and I don't really prepare. I just kind of sit down and I wing it and you know, it does a pretty good job, but I feel like if I speak from the heart, it's way more 
genuine than if I try to prepare something. And, mm. you know, like I see other business people that went to MBA school and, you know, like they learn their presentations like a script and it's just not something that I do. You know, obviously mm. now I, 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 I obviously um, prepare for a customer and, and business things, but uh, just in general, I kind of wing it, you know? Mm. So, well, that's that's interesting. I want to unpack that a bit and then get into, you know, how Plantiga gets going. But, you know, the classic business strategy, you build a business plan, you organize where you're going, what what is the purpose of what you're doing and how does it, uh, how does it solve a problem and all this kind of stuff. And I'm just kind of wondering as you get become a businessman, like it sounds to me like you kind of buck that in some way, shape or form. So what is, what advice can you give to, because sometimes I think people get ground down by that, that sort of structured viewpoint that gets presented to them about, well, you want to start a business, son, this is what it's going to take, you know? And, and I think that that, and that's what, that's, I guess what I'm trying to unpack with you and get, get the energy from you that I see this creativity, this passion that I want to offer to the listeners. How, what would be your advice for somebody who wants to create a business and, and that you've sort of ascribed to versus this mm, got to do it this way kind of view. Totally. Yeah. You know, again, these are great questions. I probably opted on the side of like no business planning and no real mapping more going after I want to make an impact like my father, who's no longer with us. And I can talk about that later on, but just if we measure human movement, its impact on society will be massive. That was more the thesis. Let's drive towards that. Now, what you said about the business plan is you have to determine who pays for that and what are the unit economics and how do you actually build a business? Those things I've kind of figured out on the fly. Mm -hmm. So for anyone, like I have kind of, the bane of my existence is financial forecast. To me, I think, <laughs> excuse my language, they're ridiculous, okay? I'm supposed to forecast three or four years out. Like it just, it's, it's insane to me that even investors ask for that stuff. Like nobody knows. It's ridiculous. Um <laughs> So for anybody that was starting a business, what I have definitely learned is the only thing that matters is making a positive impact on somebody's life. So mm -hmm. that could be an organization you're working with. It could be an app you're building, but really just focus on that. You don't really have to focus on the financial projections and, you know, like business planning or go to market strategy sometimes. And maybe that's kind of not what they teach you in MBA school. You just need to get going. Just like get out there. Get out there. You have a little app. You have a little idea. Like, just get out there. That interaction with the feedback from people that use your product or have an opinion on it, that's where the magic is. So, yeah, I would – I think there's almost too much business planning going on. There's less, like, less, less planning, more doing. That should be the name of the game. <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. So, now we get into, okay, your dad's in the garage tinkering around and stuff with all this stuff. Like – there's, I kind of don't see it. I don't see why you would gravitate to this. So tell me the, why you gravitate to what dad's messing around with. Cause it no. sounds kind of counterintuitive to, to your yeah. spirit. 
So I was always entrepreneurial. So, you know, when I was young, I was doing websites. I had a, a tutoring company called Keystone Learning in my early 20s where we made an app and I was tutoring tons and tons of children and I was employing people. So I was always entrepreneurial. So always like having businesses and people and contractors and I just thought that when my dad was talking about ground reaction force and footwear, I was like, I see that. And then you just start scouring the world and you're like, like it starts with research too. Like I'm a big researcher. Like I, I'm pretty good at that. So I just looked around and like, where was sensors and shoes? Like Adidas had this one with this like piston that would like try to match the ground and, but it just had never been done. You had like the, the, the Apple pod that would go in the Nike shoe like 10 years ago, but there was really nothing there. So then my entrepreneurial mind kicked in. I was like, I think we can do this. It's like, I don't know if anybody owns this space. And I still mm-hmm. think that like right now, it's mm-hmm. like, I don't think anybody owns this space. So it was kind of more opportunistic. I thought, I think we could really do this, dad. Like, mm. let's do this. So that's kind of where it uh, started. I had a couple other startups, but then we started, you know, connecting a couple days a week and thinking about it. And we got some government grants, some big ones, and we built some prototypes that had load cells in the shoes and they looked like a Ronald McDonald shoe and they were ridiculous, but it started the process. So that's kind of how I, I say fell into it, but I kind of did. Like, and at that time I was still writing and playing and recording and going on tour and playing with different people. But then my entrepreneurial mind here was like, I really think we could, this could change the world. Hmm. Um, So yeah, a little counterintuitive. And then as I just get into it, I started really enjoying the process and Hmm. I love collecting data. And I've come to realize that, you know, most people don't have data on their health not just movement data, but like glucose, you know, their genes, their gut bacteria, like, and when you actually start to realize that data and then the insights we can draw from that, that is the gap to living a longer life, to higher performance, to wellness. And then that just kind of jived with my passions even more. And over the years, I would say my passion is only growing. And now that we're kind of becoming a little bit of an entity and we have a number of organizations and individuals that we work with and we have happy customers. I think, Oh my God, I still think like we can do this, you know? Mm-hmm. That's so, so cool. I love yeah. you. I love the energy. So to be, to sort of have the solemn moment in the, in the podcast, obviously this, there is a, uh, a significant backstory to this and the fact that your father was the guy who was dreaming this and driving it. And then he, he gets sick and very quickly passes from prostate cancer. So this is four years ago. Um, you know, you don't have to go deep and dive on that if uh, certainly if it's not something you're comfortable with, but just how does that affect you in business and how does it affect what you do thereafter. Um, well, I'm comfortable talking about it, especially enough time has gone by. For one, death has to be the worst thing in the world. So anybody that has watched somebody pass away, it is just gut-wrenching. Throughout that process, though, it, I guess, made me almost dig into Plantiga more, where you know a lot of what we're doing is not just, it's not just a regular startup. It's like, things that we spoke about me and him 10 years ago, Mm. um, which is actually starting to come to fruition now. It just took a decade. Um, So, 
Yeah, you know, his passing made me dig in more to Plantiga. And the story is kind of bittersweet, sad at the same time, is when my father got really, really ill in beginning of 2017, end of 2016, was actually right when we were doing our first demo with the Seattle Mariners. So we were in spring training. I'm leaving my father, who is basically on his deathbed a little bit, kind of early in the year, just really ill. I go down to uh, Perora. I'm with the Mariners. We're collecting on their pictures and all this stuff. We come back, and I was in an accelerator called the Creative Destruction Lab. And uh, we basically, my father passed away, and we closed $2 million and change U.S. two months later. Wow. And it's because they spoke to the Mariners and they loved what we were doing. And it was just bittersweet. Whereas in like my father gets really ill and passes away right when what we built is now four employees and a working system and financing. So it's just like, I just thought, you know, how strange life is, you Mm -hmm. know, how strange Mm -hmm. it all is. Um, and, you know, that man sits on our patents, you know, my, my, like my father's name is on our intellectual property and things that we have. So, yeah, but again, it almost, it, it, it almost makes me not more passionate, but it's just not just a startup. It's kind of what we were doing. It's like, it feels like mm-hmm. a family business still, you know? Mm-hmm. So where does the name of it come from? How did you create Antigua. it? So me and my dad were throwing around names. My dad was like, you know, I love the word plantigrade. So plantigrade means a mammal. There's three ways. There's three ways that a mammal has locomotion. Plantigrade is one of them. It just means a mammal that's standing with its soles flat on the ground. Very few mammals are plantigrade. Humans are. Mm-hmm. Bears are. And there's a couple more ones. But like, it's very few animals stand upright with their soles flat on the ground. Well, we're thinking, well, plantigrade's not really the best name for a company. Um, and I think I threw out the word plantiga. My dad was like, that's it. I love that. So that's where the name came from. I wanted to read something you wrote at the bottom of your email to me. Um, I love our longevity and resilience. Both of them are to me what life is about. We want to do things we love with the people we love for as long as possible. And we should push towards being and performing at our best, be that at 20 or 90. I think we are all athletes in that sense. It's a mindset. You can be a single mom of two and be an athlete. It's not physically physical ability at all. It's a framework for looking at the world. I really, I really liked that. And Unpack that a little bit. What, what do you mean yeah. by that? Because a lot of people say to me, like, I, I have my own methodology called reconditioning of, you know, that we rebuild people. And a lot of times when I'm talking to people who are teaching, I go, well, I don't work with athletes. And I said, well, you do work with athletes. Everybody's an athlete. It's just some variation of that, you know. ReconditioningHQ.com is announcing the creation of the R-Pro series. There are now four steps to becoming a reconditioning professional. It all starts with our signature course, R1 Foundations, that sets you up with this unique, holistic approach to integrating the power of therapeutic practice and performance practice. This course, as well as the second course in our series, R2 Designs, is completely online. You can register and digest all the content from the comfort of your own home. Each course comes with a Zoom Lab experience 
experience where we take all the information and work with you to ensure you completely understand how to align it with your own practice. The third step, the R3 experience. This is a complete eight-week mentorship online where we go deep on the entire process and make certain you are prepared to succeed. Finally, we'll be releasing our first R4 collab sometime near the end of 2021. This will be an incredible live event where we use collaborative teaching design to manipulate the process with you and everyone in attendance so that everyone learns the nuances of the reconditioning process and leave being prepared to call yourself a reconditioning professional. For more information on all our courses, including our landmark personal development program, Empower You, please check out reconditioninghq.com today and use the coupon code LYM50 for $50 off any one of our course offerings. You want data? We've got data. You can now add real-time biometric testing and data monitoring to your Isofit MSK. Thanks to our partnership with Kinvent, you can easily transform your Isofit MSK into a state-of-the-art testing and training platform. Monitoring your athlete's progress has never been easier. With the K-Force Isofit Pack, you can easily send real-time acoustic and optic biofeedback to your smartphone or tablet. To learn more about the Isofit MSK and K-Force Isofit Pack, visit www.isofitphitmsk.ca today. Matrix Fitness Canada partners with coach Mark Fitzgerald to oversee its athletic performance program across the country. Mark is based in Kelowna, BC, with operations in multiple provinces serving athletes and families of various age groups. Most recently, the strength and conditioning coach for the Anaheim Ducks. Mark is also the head of performance and owns Elite Training Systems, a high-performance training center that caters to athletes across multiple sports. Matrix Fitness views all of us as athletes, and it is our goal to make better movement, and fitness accessible to all. The Matrix Fitness Canada performance team will assist with program development, space and facility consults, and developing outreach programs for organizations who train competitive athletes and athletes at heart. Matrix Fitness has a full portfolio of fitness, performance, and medical equipment and programs designed to serve various populations. For more information on how Matrix can help with your objectives, go to teamupwithmatrix.com forward slash CA today. So that kind of came also from kind of me and my father, but just this idea that when I was young, my dad as well, you used to think, or we used to think athletes were people that had physical ability. So they were, you know, high school or college or professional, and they just had this like crazy ability. Now that we started getting out in the world and more so now, cause I work with some of the world's best athletes, like directly with them and their human performance staff, physical ability is actually not what defines an athlete at all. It is so much more of a mental process of trying to get better. Now, you can be an athlete, and I mean that. You can be a single mom of two coming back from a really bad ACL injury because you slipped and fell, and it's the mindset of getting better and progressing and that kind of discipline to just move forward and be better. That, to me, is the athletic mindset. That's what I mean is we are all athletes. Not everybody is, though, because some people definitely don't have that mindset. 
But I think anybody can be an athlete. It's, it's really how you approach problems, not just physical. It's how you approach the challenges that life throws at all of us. Mm. Um, and kind of a subset of that is I have come to realize that longevity and resilience are two themes and words that I hold very dear. Like the definition of resilience is kind of building up strength to attacks, like being like, so if you think of just trying to optimize your life, you're really trying to make your ability to handle attacks that much stronger. That could be emotional, physical, psychological, you know, there's different ways that we can build that. And then the longevity part, maybe that kind of comes into just with my father and just death a little bit, but like, isn't that what life's about to do what we want to do with the people we love, our children, our family, our friends for as long as possible. And, and that's the nature of longevity. So mm-hmm. really it's about kind of doing that for as long as possible. So those are the two words I love. Um, and yeah, I really do fundamentally believe that we are all athletes. Uh, and it's really just a framework for life way more than physical ability. That's kind of like you could be in, like you could be a quadriplegic and an athlete. It really does not matter to your physical ability at all. Mm-hmm. This is the part of my podcast where I read from a book called The Day You Were Born. I discovered this book. It was written by a astrologer in New York, Linda Joyce, and it hit me because every one of them, it talks about the day you're born and then your purpose based on that. And then there's usually a quote. So uh, you are September one, correct? Correct. Yeah, that's right. So you are Virgo one. So your purpose is to overcome your need for worldly success and control through testing your strength against the best and having faith in a higher power. Let man be noble, generous, and good for this alone distinguishes him from all things being known to us. Go with. Virgo ones struggle with their need to shine in the world and their indifference to its rules or norms. These are the innovative thinkers who follow their own imagination and instinct and then make the world take notice. Either ruled by strong, passionate desires or able to deny all temptations, their will is strong and so is their opinion. Perfectionists at heart, they are tough on themselves. If they don't accept their weaknesses, the negated part of them may become their problem. Their ability to categorize and notice detail makes them critical and judgmental. Freedom is an issue and so it is authority in business they should be their bot their own boss personally a commitment could be a challenge they are charismatic and magnetic they can lose themselves in someone else and worship a mate then suffer the disillusionment of reality gifted with versatility imagination and talent they know how to survive and use their strengths to help others become independent caught between their desire for discipline and the need to be free they face the challenge of balancing responsibility <laughs> um, is that not me? I don't know. Like, every one of those things is just like, that is me to a T. <laughs> That's why I read it to everybody. It's like nine times out of ten, I get your reaction, which wow. is. 
So my oh. mom sends me my astrology. I, again, I kind of grew up in like a spiritual hippie family. Let's say she sends me my horoscopes on big presentation days or all sorts of things. So I feel like that uh, reminds me of kind of my family. Um, it's, it's, you know, not knowing you, but reading it and just the little I have got to know you, it, it, it read and sounded very much like you. The reason I do it, I, I tell the story sometimes on the podcast that the person across from me understands a little bit. I I found the book in New York after a second divorce and I was reading and I used to have this saying taped at the top of my desktop that said, some men see things as they are and say, why? I dream things that never were and say, why not? And it, it was Bobby Kennedy's favorite saying. <laughs> so. I, I always loved it. It was always sort of taped to the top of my desktop. And so I'm, I'm hooked, pick up this book and I go to Sag 3, which is what I am, read the purpose and I go, ooh, that's pretty eerie cool. And then the, the, my saying was that saying. So I'm like, wow. is that not an omen right there, right? <laughs> I'm buying this book, you know, it's pretty wild. Cool. Well, I'm going to ask you to send me that after. Just I will. A, even the whole part about critical and judgmental. Like I do find that I am very critical of even our team, and I hold people in a very high level. And when it's not there, I definitely point it out to a point where I have to work on that. Or mm-hmm. people like like a contractor will do something and they don't hit the level that I want, and I'm pretty critical pretty quickly, which is not always a good thing. So anyways, the, 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 that whole horoscope there was bang on. That's awesome. Really cool. Yeah. So un- unpack this process of building Plantiga in the sense that, you know, I, I liked when you said that the, this was an idea nobody's done it and and we want to sort of find this there's a marketplace there and something we can kind of get into and i would say one of the reasons why it hasn't been done is it's not very easy to do in some sense so so you know what have been some of the challenges around trying to make that happen and maybe for the listener just outline a little bit what exactly plantiga does and then you know how did you guys sort of overcome some of the hurdles okay so Quickly, kind of as an overview of us, is we have a platform that combines a sensor that kind of Velcros into a sensor insole. So it's like an insole, and we measure with precision the way somebody moves, so how they walk, how they run, how they jump, things like load, ground contact time, flight time, stride length, RSI in jumping, kind of build a little bit of a a signature and then analyze that data. So whether it's kind of advancing recovery, rehab or return to play, kind of evaluating um, performance or just looking at wellness. So that's kind of the platform. Um, The challenges have been absolutely crazy to make it work and expensive to the tunes of millions of dollars. So the biggest thing to get all kind of technical is how do you actually have a sensor that small and you power it with a with a battery, you calibrate it and you get good quality data. Like that has literally been the hardest thing to do and then to validate because, you know, the world is just littered with wearable products that just don't have good data. Now back to Matt Jordan and kind of his work. Matt's actually the only person on our team that knew my father to give you an an example. So our entire team, Matt's the only person that me and my dad first spoke to Matt about five or six years ago about some of the work that Matt was doing in jump asymmetries and we had the sensor insole that like measured um, asymmetries. Um, So that's why Matt plays a special role in our company just because he's known us for so long. Um, But the technical challenges is, it's one thing to just say, hey, we want to measure human movement. 
It's another thing to just actually do it and then do Mm -hmm. it at a very high level. So, you know, we have labored through having the device wireless and then it just failing, spending hundreds of thousands of dollars, thousands of hours, banging our head against the wall, trying to make wireless work. And I know why it doesn't work. I give anybody credit if they can do it, but I haven't really seen a technology that uh, does that properly. Just been very, like, again, uh, human being is mostly water. Wireless frequencies do not like going through water at all. So when you step on an antenna, it doesn't really work all that well. (laughs) Um, So there's just been technical challenges after technical challenges. And it's been a learning process even with our customers. And thank Thanks for their patience to teams that we've worked with that have some of the best athletes in the world and they collect data and no data comes through. Mm-hmm. Realize, oh, there was a battery issue or the battery shorted out or the antenna wasn't. And just like we have, like, like I've gone on planes and we've done some work with the U.S. Tennis Association now for about three or four years. I've gotten on planes maybe three, four years ago and like flowing down there because everything just broke. And I felt like if I didn't go down there, we would lose our partnership there. So just that, that, that effort and the challenge to get it. Fast forward to today, I'd say the last year our platform is very stable. And we sample at a high rate and it's, it's good quality data. We validated our metrics. We've had some research that's been published in the last couple months. We have a lot more coming out. We're in the midst of a bunch of studies. But man, did that take us years and years to get to. You know, so I'm not even really concerned with other players. Like I don't really look at them as competitors. I have mad respect for anybody that does anything with a sensor around movement and the um, body. But yeah, it's been hard. It's been it's been challenging. But I feel like we're just, you know it's funny. It's like we're going to be an overnight success. Fifteen years in the making, I have no doubt. But it just it is like we're just getting there. Where our system is pretty damn awesome right now. You know, That's and it cool. just took a decade to get there. Well, uh, you know, I, I love that whole story and I want to sort of find different pieces in it for the listener. One is this idea, you know, you hear the word failure a lot and you need to fail in order to succeed. I don't really like the word failure because my viewpoint is you fail when you actually don't learn from not doing something you intend to try that you're trying. So to me, you're trying, it's not working, you're learning from it, you're moving forward. So, you know, describe what, what, what does that mean to you in terms of doing and not actually achieving, recognizing that you have to ebb and flow and, and how is that work in your mind? Like, how do you not get down on the not success of something that you've visualized is going to happen? So this kind of comes from my father, but my father was very much a, like a big thinker. And he was like, well, you have to put yourself in the shoes of if somebody had done this before us, then we wouldn't be having the same difficulties, but it hasn't really been done. So because you're conscious about making a decision where you're working on a project that has no reference point, you have to be okay with constant setbacks. So that kind of was ingrained in me even when we were working 10 years ago. So I, it is definitely 
um, discouraging when you come into so many, like even like nine months ago, we were having time sync issues between our two sensor insoles. You can imagine that if one sensor insole was off even by like 15 milliseconds or half a second, it just really throws a bunch out. And it took us like months to figure it out. But to me, that's just part of the process. And I kind of tell our team, it's organized chaos. Like you can't, we're not working for a Microsoft. We're not working for Apple. This isn't just a, like we, we've signed up, or at least I have, and people that join us, we've signed up to undertake a massive challenge. So you have to be comfortable. And there's people that we've worked with that no longer work at Plantiga that I've realized you have to almost interview to understand this question is like, are, are people okay being able to operate under very, uh, not challenging circumstances, but that have no playbook. Like mm. we are literally figuring it out. So yeah, I, I don't get discouraged to the point that I give up. And I also agree with you. Failure is only a failure if you actually give up. But if it's just kind of a, like a blip on your journey, you almost have to be thankful for, for those things, you know, if you don't have those setbacks, even in the product side, then you don't really know, like, we should be thankful that we found the time slip issues with our sensors. And that took us six months to figure out because now we don't have that issue. I don't know if other companies do, but we don't have that now. So yeah, I think it's a mindset. I take a lot of that from my father and you just have to be, yeah, you have to reframe it. It's not a failure. It's actually part of the job. Hmm. You know, what, what was an early called setback or difficult like when you look back on it it's a story of uh wow it could have gone sideways but it didn't and we kept going kind of thing what do you have an early story like that where you, you mentioned a couple where you had to fly down and fix yeah. everything so oh, tell I me one of those because i think it's good for the listener to hear yeah. that type of story and then talk about some of the good stuff that's come along the one with the seattle mariners and our financing round are probably the best so my father's sick. He's at home. Um, we fly down to Phoenix. We go to their place and all of our hardware fails over the span of three days. Every single device broke. Every single one because the antennas broke actually. So we had this battery, the antenna, all of them broke. And we're out there with pitchers. I can't say their names, but like big, some of their best players bring up the data you have like the AGM comes over and some of the performance staff and it's just not there you know I remember just like you get this anxiety in your chest and you think oh no this is so bad and what I just did is I turned around and I told them the truth it's like guys the antennas broke I'm so sorry about that. And there is disappointment, but what I've also learned in this time is just like with the USTA, you just have to be honest mm -hmm. and you have to say, look, like this is very challenging. You know, we're working to fix it. With the Mariners, we actually extracted some data from two pairs that were like half working and we could show them some stuff, which was awesome. But in fact, how we raised our round is our lead investor phoned the head of performance at the Mariners and said, hey, so how was your use with Plantiga? And to my thankfulness, he did not say that it all broke. He said, oh, we love Plantiga. You know, Quinn, I went down there with uh, uh, an engineer at the time named Colin and like, you know, like they were great and we had a great time with them and we see so much promise in the technology and not once did he say that it all broke. And I think it's just because we were there and we tried and we were honest um, 
but yeah, like I like I've also had times like think of an NBA team. This was two years ago. NBA team. I'm in LA. This player makes forty million dollars a year. Okay, there's only like ten players that make that. <laughs> we collect on them. Okay, well, we're at UCLA because that's where he went to university and he lives there. We're collecting. We go. They also want to look at the data. They want to check out his asymmetries and his load, blah, blah, blah. And it doesn't work. It's not there. And the player is looking at me and he knows. He's like, Quinn, what's going on, man? I'm like, dude, I don't know. He's like, what's going on, man? I thought you guys, like, you know, like, you know what you're doing. He's like, he's razzing me in front of like 20 people and the team. And, and you just have to take it on the chin. You have to sit there and be like, and I swear a bunch and, I'm like, hey, man, I don't know what's going on and blah, blah, blah. Um, And they're still customers today. So, you know, it obviously wasn't the be all end all. But, uh, yeah, like we've had. And that's just the thing with with sensors and batteries and technology. Like it is so hard to get it all when batteries are hard. That's a whole other like kettle of fish (laughs) getting a battery that works properly and that's safe. And, yeah, anyway, so. But you just got to be honest. That's the best thing. You have to own it. You have to be like, that's on me. I don't know. I'll find out. I am so sorry. I love that. I I think that's such a a good piece for the listener in any format. You know, I think we are afraid sometimes of being honest. And sometimes when you just say, I don't know, or you can't do it right now, but you're going to try, et cetera. I think people honor that most of the time, you know? hundred percent. Yeah. In in my experience, people put a high a high value on that because they know that they've been there. And mm-hmm. as long as you're trying, I think like I always try to be humble. I really try to be, I try not to come across like I have it all figured out because I am far from it. And I feel like if I just do that appropriately, then it kind of comes across well. So, so tell me on the counterpoint to that when tell me a good story. First time you, you drop the hammer on this technology and somebody goes, Whoa, that's pretty cool or something. You know, like you have yeah. the, the, what the F moment of, well, okay, we're getting some really neat stuff here. Kind of thing. Yeah. That must be, you know, that must be fun too, as well. Totally. We've had lots of those recently where we've had like a team in the NFL and we do a demo, they buy the product, they get the product, they use it. And we just get a message being like, Hey, this was fantastic. I could literally measure step by step in the run. Like I've never seen that before. And that makes you feel so good where you are driving value for them and they get excited. Like, I love that. I think early on, I had a demo that went very well, which was kind of actually triggered our first kind of family and friends round of 150 grand. But about five years ago, I flew down to LA. My mom, I think, bought the plane ticket on points from Air Canada. I flew down there. I stayed in this like brutal Airbnb. I went to demo for Tim Francesco and Gary Vitti, and the demo went perfectly. We did jump testing that measured RSI. We did like an open activity which looked at the load and the load asymmetry. And at the end of the demo, it all worked perfectly. They basically were like, okay, we'll buy it. I'm going to buy it. Literally, this is the one I have. But I looked around it and it was good. But like, it was just, I think it was, that was the first moment that I saw that we had shown one of the best performance staffs in the world, something that they hadn't seen before and that it resonated. And it was like a little bit of a mic drop where I like, although I said, well, hey, look, guys, like this is a prototype. We're going to work and get you, you know, five or six or seven of them in a couple months. And, you know, this is great. 
But I think in that moment, I thought to myself, okay, there's definitely something here. And it was just a prideful time. So mm. that was the flip side where a demo goes very well. Um, and it's quite exciting for it. That's cool. For the um, aspiring entrepreneur out there, just, um, you know, everybody, I think there's, a, there's this point where it, it's a dream of your own you're working in your own little box and your dad was doing that and then you got on board and a few other people started to go but then it, it turns into an entity and you start sort of creating a company so to speak and yeah. there's people that you're that are dependent upon talk about that a little bit in terms of how that affects you when it when it goes from i'm responsible for me myself and i and now i'm responsible for maybe feeding a few different people and trying to make this thing work and how does that change you or how does it affect your your goals, so to speak? <laughs> it changed me insofar as I realized that I'm a much better leader than I am a manager <laughs> and that managing people is very hard to do. And you have to set expectations and give feedback. And, you know, like I, I, I come back to that, like solo creator a bit. Like I'm, my gut reaction is not to manage people. It's to set vision. And I'm a good salesperson. I love selling and demoing. But the management is so challenging. And now, now we, we'll probably be at 20 people here in the next month and we're hiring some roles. And I've realized that I actually have to become a CEO. This is no longer me just, you know, working with my dad or a few folks. Like we're an actual company with a lot of investors, institutional investors reporting, um, plan of records for revenue and, you know, just a whole, a whole whack of things, which to be honest with you, not is it's not my forte. Like I'm not that good at it. And, you know, I've realized that I need to up my game. So I am reading business books and planning and forecasting and going to market strategies and marketing strategies and sales and building sales teams and like just things that I've never thought about. Like I didn't go to university. I took graphic design and, and um, poli sign. I didn't even finish. Like it's just not what I'm good at. It's not where I've been. And it has been hard actually very hard to understand that we're building a business. And I also like being the CEO and I'm competitive. So like I want to get better. So I'm actively trying to up my game there. So it's changed me in so far as that I'm in a role now that requires me to up my game across the board, get better at management, setting direction, you know, reporting, investors, financing. It's just a different ball game that, mm. uh, I'm underprepared for, but I'm getting better. Awesome. What have been some of your strategies for maybe staying true to yourself through this process, but and not getting consumed by it? Oh, it's very hard. So I try to, I try to be creative and I try to, Stephen Pressfield has a book called the war of art. If anybody has read it, which is awesome, but you can treat whatever you do as art. So if I'm doing a financing deck for uh, a raise or customer stuff, I try to put myself into the mindset that I'm creating something. So although it's a pitch deck for a customer or this, I try to view it in my head as artistic, as creative content. Like this is awesome talking about that. But no matter what I do, I try to put the lens of creativity onto it so it doesn't feel dry. You know, like... Mm -hmm. You know, I go into market strategy, a marketing plan. Like I just try to make it creative because actually it is, 
but it also can be dry. So I try to put myself in that mindset before I do it. And that makes me feel like I don't get to the end of the day and I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm drained. I, I get to the end of the day and yes, it was a bunch of technical stuff, but I felt like I was creative and I shipped. I shipped this document. I shipped that deck. I prepared for this presentation. I kind of, I shipped stuff, which makes me feel good. Mm, okay, cool. So how old is Atticus now? Atticus is 16 months. Okay, so talk a little bit about uh, you pre-dad and you after-dad. What uh, what happens to, you know, wh- wh- how does that affect you? Yeah, so being a father might be the best thing I've ever done. Not might be, it 100% is. Um, I didn't realize how much fun I'd have. And I mean that in all <laughs> sincerity. I didn't even really think about it. Like, I'm, I, I guess I had a kid when I was 36. Um I just didn't realize how much fun it is. And I guess because I don't really get stressed out by crying babies or, you know, toddlers that throw tantrums. I find it kind of funny. Like, I'll throw a tantrum because, like, the water doesn't, like, work or something. Like, I don't really – I don't get upset by it. It doesn't, like, make me anxious. I just have so much fun. Like, he's just – it's so fun to see him acquire a new skill. I teach him stuff all the time. It's just amazing. And then – I guess I'm lucky, but he's just a very happy child. So he's happy. He wakes up in the morning. He, he, he like, I can hear him at five. He's like, he's not crying. He's just like talking to himself. He's just such a, he's such a ball of joy. It's just amazing. Um, so it also actually kind of makes me think of my father actually, because, because my dad was an amazing dad to me. And then we were friends and business partners now having a son i just think of the bond that we have between you know fathers and sons or fathers and um daughters it also just means like that is more important than plantiga by a long shot like our families and you know that connection at least to me is far more important than anything i'll ever do on the business economic side of my life like just it pales in comparison actually so having a kid i think just reinforced that wow so what's your what's your hope for Plantigo? What do you what do you hope that it it shifts or changes or does? So right now, like historically, we've been selling to organizations. We've been selling to you know NBA teams, NFL teams, NCAA programs. We have lots of stuff with militaries all over the world, which is very exciting. But we're actually shifting towards kind of a consumer route. So kind of taking our platform, bringing what we've learned with professional athletes to you know what we call hard charging professionals. So my plan is to actually execute that. And, you know, I think that connected footwear is not an if, it's a when. We're already talking to footwear manufacturers who understand the exact same thing. So I actually would like Plantiga, our insights, our analytics, to power millions of pairs of shoes in the coming years. Mm. And take what we've done, take what we've built, and really drive value and benefit for individuals. Like imagine if you had Parkinson's, if you had, you know, osteoarthritis, like the way that you move, it's probably the best measure of your health, disease progression, you know, all of those things. Mm. That's on that side. On the performance side, just being able to measure that, like actually, you know, tell somebody how they are doing. To me, that's just, that's so exciting. So in the future, it's really, I want to be, 
I want Plantiga and the, not just me, but like I'm the least influential person in our group now from the technical side. Like we have the best group of engineers and salespeople and product people and manufacturing. But I feel like what we're doing, I want us to power and touch millions of souls in the coming years. That's my goal. Millions of souls. That can be, that's a double. Exactly. Entendre. I like that. So, yeah. Pun intended. <laughs> Um, you mentioned earlier, which I'd like to unpack before we sort of bring this to the, a close a little bit around the idea of validity and reliability. And, you know, the the listenership that I have is in the performance industry, but there's also people who are not. And what is sort of a misunderstanding that you guys have had to overcome in creating something that you can really trust about a lot of the wearable technology these days? Because, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's becoming en vogue, where my, my, my wristband for this, my this for that, et cetera. But but I think the average consumer doesn't really understand the idea of validity and reliability totally. and recognize that what they're actually being told by the sensors is actually the truth or is something that the machine is, you know, created and crafted for its, itself that day. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great point. So let's take Fitbit. So Fitbit with the gold standard could be like 70 to 80%. Mm-hmm. You know, gold standard is probably within like two to 4% or like, sorry, clinical grade is probably within like two to 4% of the gold standard. So I feel like there's a lot of devices out there that will do heart rate or heart rate variability or all of these things, but they're just kind of not guessing, but they're just, they're not that valid. Now, if you're going to make a decision in your life to change your training or to do something differently, you have to be, we have, we owe it to you as the user to make sure that if you're taking that data, that we've done everything in our power to make sure that that data is accurate. And I feel like that is a responsibility that we have and all wearable companies have. I don't think all wearable companies take the approach of trying to, <clears throat> excuse me, make things as valid uh, as they can, but that's a driving principle for us. So You know, for a lot of people, it doesn't matter. A lot of people don't really care if their step count is off by 80 steps or 200 steps. Like That doesn't really matter to most people. And I understand that. But to us, it matters a lot. To the people that we service, it matters a lot. To the types of people that are on our platform, it matters a lot. Um, So, yeah, I think it's, uh, it's something that we hold dear. And, you know, I think everybody should question whatever device that they use. They should just... Like even ask the question, like how valid is the measurement? And, and also, do you care that it's valid or not valid? I think if you ask my mother, she probably doesn't really care if the Apple, you know, the health kit that tracks her steps every day, she probably doesn't care if it's off. It's like a rough approximation. And for her, that's good. But uh, in our world and with what we do, it matters a lot. So Mm -hmm. that's how I would look at it. Gotcha. Sort of the last question here, you know, if you're, um, father was alive today what do you think you would say about where you where things have have come oh i think he would be so proud i think he would be so so proud i feel like we're just getting to some of the things that we were speaking about so going back 10 years my father knew that everybody moved with a very unique movement signature and he knew that you could identify a human being based on how they walked and kind of building this movement signature, this individuality of how you move, how I move, how my wife Kaylee moves. And that was a big thing for him is being able to identify that and then see if there were deviations outside of that kind of movement signature. 
Fast forward to today, and we are literally building that right now. Mm-hmm. We have the ability where if you went for a walk, a run, and a jump, almost like a barcode, we are able to establish kind of what that movement signature individually is for you and kind of add to it as we get more data. So literally the things that we were speaking about 10 years ago is now actually in production and in beta. And I think he would be smiling from above and very, very proud that technically we're there. And it's been, again, like an engineering feat and machine learning and deep learning and all this stuff and techniques and tools that we use. But we're there now and we're definitely being able to like identify Scott from Quinn and Quinn from Kaylee. And it's just impressive because that then sets us on this course of like personalized insights and you know, like you're different than me. We all move different. You know, you can't just say asymmetry is healthy and you know, some people have high ones, some people have low ones. It's the personalized bit. So we're there now. And yeah, again, I think he would be proud. That's awesome. Where can people find uh, you, Quinn, the company, the the goods, so to speak? Tell, yeah. tell us about that. Uh, anybody wants to email me, my email address is always there. It's qsandler at plantiga.com. Um, always open to hearing thoughts, questions, you know, comments. We would love that. Our company's website's plantiga.com. So P-L-A-N-T-I-G-A.com. Right now, we have kind of three lines of products. So we can kind of sell to individuals, to organizations, and to researchers. So if anybody's interested in learning more, any questions, definitely kind of reach out to us. And then our name is also on Twitter and Instagram and things like that. Awesome. Well, I loved your I love your story. I loved uh, I love your energy, sir. It's been uh, a pleasure to get to know you a little bit, and hopefully our paths will cross face to face at some point in the future. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, have a great day. You too. Thanks for joining us today on Leave Your Mark. I hope we've left a mark on you today, and we wish only that you pay it forward by sharing this story, taking the time to rate and comment on this podcast. Please follow us at Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Pain and become a member of this community at Scott G. Livingston on Facebook. Have a great day. Music by Cedric de Saint-Rome. <laughs>